Turn, turn if you would, to um, Ephesians 3. If you're new to a Messianic congregation, I'd say, what? They still have more? Yeah, we do. Yeah. But I've been to Gateway, and you guys go a long time, so honestly, you're used to it. So, um, but just hold your finger on um, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter Shalosh 3. You ever had that somebody just maybe in your old days when you're, maybe you weren't even walking with the Lord and somebody would come up and say, you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life. And I know what, people used to do that to me and I really thought, I don't even know who God is. I don't know if he loves me. I wouldn't love me if I was God. And I don't know what kind of plan he has. It was kind of like, it became a cliche. God loves us and has a plan for our lives. But yet, you know what? He does. God has plans and purposes for our lives. There's so much truth in that cliche that we've heard so many times. God is working out his plans even when we don't feel them or see them. He is not late. He is not wondering what, he's not scratching his head going, what is going on on planet Earth? And you know, I also believe that, you know, we may in our lifetime may have not witnessed some, the craziness that we've in our lifetime, but you know, through history, there has been some really, really crazy times. I'm reminded of when, you know, Shimon Peter wrote his letter, his letters to the believers in Rome who were being burned at the stake. They were being burned by Nero, the emperor. So there was a tough time. It was a tough time. But God is getting ready to move big time. I really, really sense that. In Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Anybody ever been to the church in Ephesus? It's a beautiful place there. Awesome ruins. And I remember years ago, first time we were there, actually been there a couple of times and there's an amphitheater. And you can stand in this huge amphitheater on, on where the stage was and, and, and speak and sing and it would be heard over the whole amphitheater. It was so awesome. We had some great worship times there. But he's writing to the uh, church, to the Kehilah in Ephesus. And starting in verse 8, This favor was given to me. What is the favor? Is God's revealed to him the mystery of the Gentiles and being part of this whole one new man, Jew and Gentile. And this was probably a huge revelation to Shaul, Paul, who's saying, wow, this is not just for us, the Jewish people, but it's also for the Goyim, the, the Gentiles. And so he's writing this about this mystery. And he says in verse 8, This favor was given to me, the very least of the Kedoshim, the holy ones, to proclaim to the Gentiles the endless riches of the Messiah and to bring, light the plan, bring to light the plan of the mystery, 
which for ages was hidden in God, who created all things. The purpose is that through Messiah's community, that's us, the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's why we pray and make declarations to make his plans and purposes known to those rulers and authorities in high places. Yeah? which is in keeping with the eternal purpose that he carried out in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. In him we have boldness and access with confidence through trusting in him. So I ask you not to be discouraged by my troubles on your behalf. They are your glory. I just want to, before I get into what I want to share today about God's purposes and timings and even about revival, a little bit about revival. I want to give a little review of what we shared last week. God uses the whole concept of time. We try to control our time. We try to be God of our own time, but God has put us into, taken a slice of eternity, put us into his slice of eternity, which is the time that we're living in. We're all here at this time. It's not an accident. You're all here by divine purpose. Do y'all realize that, right? But let me, how he, he uses time to mold us into the image of his son. God uses time to mold us into the image of Messiah Yeshua. And so he does that, and I shared this last week, a lot of times through wilderness experiences. Nobody here has had a wilderness experience, I'm sure. So I may be just preaching to nobody here but myself. But he uses, so what I'm saying to you is don't waste the wilderness experiences when we're in them, they're hard times. Paul was saying about, you know what? Hey, don't, don't, don't fret about me. You know, I'm going through a hard time, probably in prison, probably was just stoned, probably was just shipwrecked or whatever. But he's saying, don't worry about that. Those are all for God has his plans and purposes. What are those plans and purposes for us to walk through in the, in the wilderness? First of all, gives us an opportunity to search our hearts, to repent of what I call the wilderness sins I called them the wilderness sins last week. Maybe some of you can be familiar. Grumbling. Just like the children of Israel, grumbling about this, about that. Not enough this, not enough that. Why this, why that? Grumbling, judgment, slander, fear. Those are just some of those wilderness sins that we find ourselves in and God says, don't do that, repent. Don't walk in those ways. Secondly, when we're in the wilderness, we're to change our language. I know it's, we look at things, I'm a realist. My wife says I'm a pessimist. I'm just a positive realist. <laughs> I see things. On Shabbat, I'm a pessimist. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, I sometimes tend to see things and go, you know, this shouldn't be that way. And I, and I, we need to change our language and see things the way God sees them. Begin to see things and speak those things out. I'm reminded of Joshua and Caleb. Okay, they were two of the 12 spies that went into the land. And they went into the land because God says, I'm giving you the land. And it's flowing with milk and honey. And this is going to be your land and I'm going to put my name on that land. And they went into the land. They saw it was great. It was awesome. Beautiful fruit, clusters of grapes. It took two men to carry those grapes back. Beautiful place. 
But there was giants there, and so they began to grumble, the children. And the spy says, we can't do this. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. But Joshua and Caleb said, we need to go in. God said he's given us that land. We're going to go in, and we're going to take it. See, that's changing the language. Yeah, they saw the same things the other, the other spies saw, the other princes of Israel. That's, they were leaders. They saw that these guys were brave guys. They weren't like wimps. Okay? But Joshua and Caleb, they spoke and they said, God said it. We can do it. Let's go in and take the land. And a few years later, 45 years later to be exact, Caleb's saying, you know, when we were going in and, and I wanted to, God said, I can have that land. I want that land. Give me that land now. We just read that the other day in our reading. Give me that land. I want it now. I'm 85 years old and my body is still as strong as it was. Ha. Huh? <laughs> but he, he's speaking out. See, that's what I mean. He's changing his language. And another thing to do when we're in the wilderness is to draw closer in intimacy to Yeshua. Even this, this last year, what a great opportunity when so many of the months that we've had in the last year, you've had an opportunity to be locked down, to be quarantined. What a great opportunity. I called it, call it earlier an elongated Shabbat. You can be in the presence of the Lord as long. You don't have to go to the office. You don't have to go to here. You don't have to go there. An elongated, it's an opportunity for us to be really drawing closer to the Lord. He desires us to draw closer. Harov, that Hebrew word harov, to draw close, to draw near. And to listen. Not just to listen to words, to hear words, but to shema. The Hebrew word shema, which actively listens. And when we hear what he's speaking, and he's speaking all the time, is to be renewed in what he is speaking to us. That's what we do when we are in the wait on the Lord. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. And then finally stay focused on the goal. There's kingdom goals that God lays out, I believe. Reaching Israel and the Jewish people is one of those goals. But also God's given you visions and goals for your own life. Stay focused on your goal. Proverbs 4 Verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead and fix your gaze straight in front of you. Clear a level path for your feet so all your ways will be firm. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Divert your foot from evil. God spoke those verses to me many years ago, the night before I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. But he said, Keep looking straight ahead. Don't turn to the left or to the right. And I had to go back to that verse many times and say, God, I'm not feeling like this is going well. I'm not feeling good at all. Remind me of those. Do not turn to the right or to the left or divert your foot from evil. But keep, your, keep focused directly ahead. Keep your eyes fixed and straight ahead on him. Colossians 3, 2 says, focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I remind us of that today. Don't focus on CNN, Fox News, 
CBS, NBC, Wall Street Journal, what they're saying is news. Focus on what God is speaking from his heavenly throne, not on the things of the earth. Not to deny the things that are going on earth, but focus on what he is saying and getting ready to do. All creation and all history are moving toward one intended goal. Anybody want to throw out a guess on what that goal is? That's like one of those questions, you know, I ain't going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Wow. She got it. You read my notes, didn't you? (laughs) Tikkun olam, that all things would be restored in Yeshua. Everything is moving towards that restoration that's only going to take place in Yeshua. Now, I believe we have a goal to make things as to bring righteousness as, as the best we can. But I don't believe that total righteousness is going to be restored until Yeshua comes and puts his throne in Jerusalem. But what we have, a, we have an authority, we have an, we have an ability to, to act for righteousness. And, and he will restore all things. Tikkun olam, the restoration or the repair of the whole world. That's the eternal goal that God has. And you know, if you look in Colossians chapter 1, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but it says he is the image, Yeshua is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? He looks like Yeshua, Jesus. He created all things, and in him he holds all things together. Just that snippet of scripture right there. He He holds all things together. If he wasn't, then we wouldn't be. If he wasn't, then we wouldn't be. He holds all things together. All God's fullness dwells in Messiah Yeshua. All God's fullness dwells in Jesus. All things are reconciled through him. And God's eternal plan is to restore all things under his kingship, lordship. That's why when he comes back, when he returns, he's going to be coming back as the triumphant Lion of Judah. Lion of Judah, and he's going to be roaring. Yeah. Amen. Get excited a little bit about that. Jared, I know he's excited, but he's back there. He's got work to do on the, keep on the boards back there. But we need to know that we are an indispensable part of this goal. It's not something he's doing out there. He could do it all by himself, but he's, he's chose to partner with us. And we could choose to partner with him. We're indispensable part of this goal. He wants to include us in on that. Psalm 139, verse 13. I praise you for I am awesome. What is it? Okay. I, I praise you for he has created. Um, uh, I want to make sure that I get this right. Um, for you have created my conscience. You knit me together. Is this in my mother's womb? I praise you for I am awesomely, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was unformed. And in your book were written the days that were formed when not one of them came to be, had come to be. Do you believe that? That's the word of That's the word of the Lord. He says, I knew you even before you came into being. And all the days of your lives are, they have a purpose and I know what they are. 
Ephesians 2.10, and I love this, for we are his poema, his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk into them. You see, I'm going to be talking about theology in a few minutes. We need to have a theology that God has prepared works for us to walk in through. Each of us have something to do. We have to have that mindset, that theology, that understanding. We're part of God's plan. See, what we tend to do a lot of times is we invest our plan, we invest in our own plans. We got good plans, and, and some of them are really, really good plans, and then we say, God bless my plans. You know? And all of us are guilty of that. Instead of walking in what He has already purposed. And then we can be a blessing because we're walking, we're joining, we're cooperating with His plans. And we're called to be a blessing to the whole world, to the whole earth. Isaiah 30, verse 1, says something very interesting. I love this word. It starts off, in my, in my, I have the, 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 um, the Jewish Bible, the tree of life. It says, oi. Yeah, there it is. Oi, the rebellious children. It is the declaration of the Lord. How many times God says, oi. Oi, ve. But listen to this. Who carry out a plan, but it's not mine. And make an alliance, but not of my ruach, my spirit. So that they add sin, so they may add sin to sin. You see, we are created to fulfill his plans. And God gives us visions within his master plan that we're to walk into. But always go back to the manual. What is he saying? What are his purposes? Are the plans, the good things, that the things that you're working on, do they go along with what he's already declared? So I believe in revival. I've been blessed to be part of a revival. But no revival or no move of God or no deliverance is an end in itself. In other words, it's not just what happened at that service or in that day or in that, that healing. There's more to it. That's just the beginning. It's not just the end in itself. Revival is not an end in itself. Ephesians 1 verse 11. In him we also were chosen, predestined according to his plan. He keeps working out all things according to the purpose of his will so that we who were the first to put our hope in Messiah might be for his glorious praise. You see, every revival, every deliverance, every move of God serves his historical purposes that he had planned in his mind from the beginning of creation. I've been... Like I said, I've been involved in a, in a um, revival in Argentina in 1986, and I've shared this in our congregation before. Uh, it was incredible. I've never seen it before. I never saw those. The, this first time I was a new believer, fairly new believer, I saw healings and deliverances. It was incredible. I saw whole cities, towns show up at, at an empty, vacant field in the evenings and hear a simple message of the gospel of the kingdom. I saw people's lives transform. When we would walk down the street at night, we would be going, going to eat dinner at midnight because that's what Argentinians do. Is we're walking down the street, people would come up and say, I've heard about this Jesus. Tell me who this Jesus is. See, that's revival. That's revival. And I had the opportunity, and I want to see that happen here. You know, we read about other revivals. You know, there was a Welsh revival in 1904. Evan Roberts 
And, and you know, that Welsh revival, Wales, you think Wales is a tiny little piece of the United Kingdom, okay? And yet that revival in 1904 spread to Northern Europe and even to the, on to the continent and even over here to America. See, that's what I mean. Those sparks of revival that began in Wales went all the way around the world. The New Hebrides the New Hebrides uh, revival of 1949 to the mid-1950s. His name was Duncan Campbell. Everybody, anybody ever heard of Duncan Campbell? In this New Hebrides, there was a revival. And you know where it started? Two ladies who spoke, didn't even speak English, they spoke Gaelic. And they, in their 80s, two sisters, and they said, God is going to bring revival to this place. They called this man, Duncan Campbell, and, and he came and he started preaching. And he would ride his motorcycle all over the New Hebrides. And all kinds of things happened. And out of that revival, ministries were birthed. And I just found this out, is that the mission that Millie and I were part of for many years, Youth with a Mission, Duncan Campbell was one of the 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 apostolic leaders into that and used to speak in our schools back in the day before he passed away. So it was a revival that started in this little place. These two 83-year-old sisters who just knew that God was going to do something and it just lit a fire all over the place. Azusa Street. We've all heard of Azusa Street. What's that? They were interceding. And they were interceding in Gaelic. You have a hard time with Hebrew here this morning? They were speaking in Gaelic. It's pretty much a dead language, I think, unless you're watching, what is the name of that show? No, we don't. Don't even go there. But Azusa Street, we've all heard of Azusa Street revival in Los Angeles, my hometown. And it started with a man named William Seymour, an African-American preacher, in this warehouse in, 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 the, part of, in the industrial part of L.A., started preaching. And... and in that, one of the characteristics of the Azusa Street was the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, like an Acts chapter 2 experience. And they were getting filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, all kinds of incredible things happened. And like I said, no revival is just, it's just within itself because out of that revival was birthed the Assemblies of God, the Foursquare, so many other spirit-filled denominations that have gone around the world. So that's what I'm saying is that every revival, there's a purpose of God. I believe in the last, let's just say, since the beginning of the 20th century, the gospel has gone all around the world, literally, because of these revivals. And it continues to go. It continues to go. continues to go. We were watching some of our old YWAMers the other day, and they were talking about, you know, how they count down people groups that have that were not reached that are being reached you know and, and it used to be 20,000 people groups that were not reached with the gospel then it was down to 10 now it's down to six or seven thousand that have still not been reached so there's work to do still but here's what we need to do we needed to discern how any revival or events fit into his plans even the things that have gone on in the last year in this country and around the world how does this fit into God's plans? Well, we can see one thing very, very clearly, even from the events of the past year, is that government and the institutions that are, they don't have a clue about what's going on. Right? They are clueless. 
every single day they come out with new regulations to address this issue, and then a week later they, well, that's no longer valid, we're going to do this now. They're totally, they don't have a clue what's going on. And this is where we need to go, God, thank you, Lord, you are on your throne. You are still seated on your throne. We need to see how any revival, anything that's going on, any events, they fit into God's plans. I see and this is part of what I see, the, the harvest that Millie was talking about, is that people are going to say, you know what, they don't have the answers anymore. So I, God is the answer. And they're going to turn because they are looking for something to believe in. And we are a people of all people. We are the people that should have more hope than anybody else. Because we have an eternal hope. See, I believe in revival. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've been in it. And we need a revival today. We need a revival today. Can I hear somebody say, yeah. And I believe this is the kind of revival that it's going to be. It's a, where he's equipping us to be a, a house of habitation, congregationally, but also individually. It's going to be a return holiness, the fear of the Lord and a hatred of sin in the body of Messiah. How can we influence the world, if we love sin, if we continue to tolerate sin in our midst. And I believe that that's what God is doing. He's shaking us up so that we would have that fear of the Lord and us holy reverence of him, a hatred of sin and not to do the things that we used to do. For true revival to happen, and, and this is where I just wanna, I wanna kind of bring things to a close here. Our theology our theology, our study, our knowing about God, is it's, it's utterly crucial. What we know about God and what we know about his word will affect, every, will affect our lives and those around us. So I believe that the revival that I want to see, we need to make sure that our theology goes along with his kingdom plans and purposes. Our theology has to show people where the paths of righteousness lie. It's to glorify him, that he would be glorified. It's not about us, it's, about, it's for his sake. Theology must engage not just the mind. See, we tend to, it's become more of a thing of an intellectual thing, an understanding of theology. But it's not just an intellectual thing. It has to engage my heart and all of my actions, everything I do, that's my theology. You can say, you can quote scriptures all day long, but if your life walks contrary to what you're quoting, what good is your theology? David knew this very well, Psalm 23, Song of the Shepherd. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for my sake. No? He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We're not representing, we're representing him. We are representing him. Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you knowledge and understanding, knowing about God. An inadequate theology 
And when I say theology, I'm talking about knowing about God and his plans and his purposes. If we have an inadequate theology, it's caused branches to die, leaders to fall, revivals to cease, increased demonic resistance when we don't have correct theology. Several years ago, there was a, a revival that broke out in another state. I won't get into a whole lot of details. And Some good things happened. But it fell apart because character issues. The people who didn't deal with the character issues, when they had the opportunity in the wilderness, they came to the surface. And people who were part of that and then this, it all blew up and came tumbling down, they were like, I don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. You see, we have to have a kingdom-centered theology that grounds us in a spirit-empowered life. You tell me about God, you quote scriptures, but are you walking in the power of a kingdom lifestyle? Are you walking in that power? And that's an individual thing. All of us can do that. You see, without a biblical theology, our relationship with God, our experience of God, and our service to God are compromised. It's like the roots, I mean, it's like the seeds are not right. And so we need to make, and this is where, this is where we become disciples. Talmudim is the Hebrew word. We're in the word. It's, we're letting the word transform us. We're being renewed in, in our minds by his word and by, by the Ruach HaKodesh living in us. And we need to have a right theology about who God is and what he plans to do. In these days of militant secularism, all oh, the deception is out there, just breaks my heart. We need to have our theology right. Three reasons. I'm going to just give real shortly three reasons for our theology to be God's theology. First of all, the, theology is inescapable. That's number one. Theology is inescapable. Everyone has a view of the world based on their understanding or lack of understanding of God. Everybody. Even an atheist or an agnostic, a Muslim, a secular humanist, whatever. They have a view of God. It may be God doesn't exist or God created things. This used to be me. Created things but set things in motion and left the scene. A theist or a deist. That's, so everybody has a theology. And for us as believers, whether you're Jewish or, or, or a Christian, our theology is embedded in our prayer. What is our prayer life like? Are we praying? It's embedded in our Bible reading. Are we reading the scriptures? Are we applying the scriptures to our life? Our, our theology is, is embedded in our decision making. Are we making decisions based on what the word of God says instead of what I, how I feel that particular day? Touches every aspect of our life, theology. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, theology touches every aspect of our lives. Theology, second part, theology is a treasure that we need to celebrate God. It's a treasure. Theology is a treasure. It's an act of worship. Worship is part of our theology here at Or Chaim. It's the Spirit's desire to worship the Father in Yeshua. 
1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 2, verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We're to celebrate, we're to celebrate theology. It's a treasure. And, it, and any treasure, you, you have to hunt for it. It's in the Word. That's why we do the Torah portion every week. Now, those who do their Torah portion regularly, do you ever find something new? I mean, you've been doing this for every, every, every week for many years. Is there ever something that you ever come up new? Always. Sarah, I mean, even today you shared some new things, new insights. So our theology will also, it sets us free. Proper, biblically, kingdom-centered theology sets us free. In John 8, 31... Yeshua said to the Judeans who had trusted him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's so often misquoted. Truth will set you free. We're missing something. Knowing the truth and walking in truth as a disciple, that's what sets us free. Not just knowing information. We've got enough information out there. Good theology fuels authentic experience. Wendy, why don't you come on up and get ready for some closing worship. Good theology will fuel authentic experience. It's like a couple of weeks ago in our Torah portion, we're looking at the sons of Aaron. Leviticus 10.1, now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own censer and put their own fire in it. They laid incense over it. Then they, offer, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. God desires revival. Revival is basically is when God comes to earth. It's when God comes and People are saved, people are healed, people are delivered, people are reawakened. It's the opposite of being woke, by the way. Okay, reawakened is, you wanna know what woke is? Don't look at what woke is, be reawakened. That's the opposite of wokeness. But God wants that revival to be about him and nothing else. Whatever fire we bring before him, that it would be an authorized fire of a, of a yielded, surrendered heart and life. That's what he's de desiring of us. See, I love to experience God. I've been in services where it's excitement and there's all kinds of things happening, prophetic words all over the place. I love it. I love to see people in that way and I love the experience and I love his presence during our worship today I felt his presence I felt his presence there's times when I come up here on the mountain and gateway on Sundays or special services and the presence of the Lord is thick is thick and I love that presence but I want my experience and experiencing his presence to be grounded in truth. 
This is his, this is his truth. He never changes. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you stand with me? One of the greatest compliments that we've received about this congregation is that you are a loving congregation. And the scriptures say that they will know us by our love. And part of what Stu's talking about, you know, in revival and theology, uh, for me is to see God's character living in and through you. And part of that is to see his love growing in and through you. And the brotherhood of love comes with unity. And so that's a strong thing. And that's part of our call here at Or Haim is to build unity within our our community, but also within the community of Denver. And um, I was talking to a sister the other day who leads a, a small congregation, and she was so frustrated because everybody was arguing about calendars and days and different things, you know, in Torah and stuff like that, you know. And so we started talking about love and how people will know us by our love, not whether we, you know, wear tzitzit or whether we wear um, a Mogan David, a Star David, or a cross, or whether you put up a Christmas tree or you're a Christian or, you know, a Jewish faith or what. But those are all cultural things. The character of Yeshua Learn his character, who he is, who God is, and then love one another. That's the theology, is to love one another and be like him. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen, but on, in the second, uh, the second season in number three, the disciples were sitting around the fire and they were arguing, you know, about different things, about being Jewish and this and that. And Yeshua's in the tent healing everybody, you know, and here they are arguing. And it, it was a good illustration. It's just a good illustration of, you know, of the body and just makes you think of what, of how we should be, you know, and I was like, if I was during the day, I would want to be in that tent with Yeshua learning how he's healing everybody, you know, so I could be doing it too. And um, anyway, love one another. Start there. Amen. Thank you, Billy. You know, when I, shortly after I got saved, about a year, year and a half, two years after I got saved, and I was... See, I was delivered out of drugs, and I remember. And, and I mean, he took away the desire to do drugs. But then I had this desire. I want to, I want to, I got to get loaded again. I don't know. It's just, it was just something. It was stupid. 
So I went away on a business trip, and I got a friend of mine, one of my old druggy friends, and he gave me a couple of marijuana joints, whatever. And um, But I remember, you know, because I'd been delivered. This is like, but anyways, I'm in there, and I, and I started, lit up this, and I'm in the room. And I knew as soon as I, it's like, this is, what am I doing? The Lord walked into the room. He literally walked into the room. I've never heard his audible voice, but Yeshua, I didn't know him as Yeshua then. I just knew Jesus walked into the room. And he started, he, he says, open your Bible to John 15. I didn't even know what John 15 was. I opened it. I started reading it. And I remember I'm reading it, but I'm just sensing this is, this is scary. He's in the room. He's in the room. And, and I remember when I came upon this verse in John 15, 4. It says, abide in me and I will abide in you. The branch cannot itself produce fruit unless it abides on the vine. Likewise, you cannot produce fruit unless you abide in me. And that night, I just, it was the second encounter I had with Yeshua. First one was when I got saved and then this encounter. Abiding in him, that's what disciples do is they abide in him. Let his word abide in us and we abide in, in him. That's what we need to do. And let the word, let the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, consume us. And we need to consume the word until it consumes us. Consume the word until it consumes us. Amen? I want to pray, and, and I don't want anybody to leave here today without walking out knowing Yeshua. Let's put it simple. If you don't know him today, if you don't know him today, you've heard scriptures today, we've read a lot of scriptures, you've experienced something, and there is a way to respond to him. We just say, yes, Lord. Thank you that you forgive me of my sins. Lord, you receive me as a son or as a daughter. And, and he wants to come up and take habitation. He wants to live within you. And you can make that happen today by just saying, Lord, I want to be, I want to be one of your children. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, as we close our service today, Lord, I pray for that one person, or maybe there's more, Lord God. Lord, that they would see you as a loving father who desires his sons and daughters to come into relationship with him. The sin issue you dealt with 2,000 years ago at the cross. All we need to do is say, yes, Lord, I was born a sinner. I lived in sin, but now I want to give my life to you. So, Father, if there's anybody here, Lord, in that, Lord, that they would say this simple prayer, Yeshua, Jesus, I've sinned. I've rebelled against you. You've probably said, oi, over me many times. But, Lord, I want to turn my life back to you today. Receive me as your daughter. Receive me as your son. 
in Yeshua's name, and he will receive you. Father, we bless you and honor you today, Lord God. And as we close our service, and we just we just spend the last minutes just worshiping you, Lord God. Just pray for visitation, habitation, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's just take a last few minutes and just worship him.